Welcome to the 265th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today is a discussion of the Asian diaspora in the COVID crisis with Woo Jae Kim and Jinri Kim. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID calls live most weekdays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, as well as many Fridays at 5.30 p.m. Korea time on YouTube. Just go to the COVID calls YouTube channel to watch. You can hear COVID calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. Please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, April 23, 2021, there are 3,071,834 deaths from COVID-19 globally. That's according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. Death toll in South Korea right now stands at 1,808 lives lost from COVID-19. In France, 102,164 people have died from COVID-19. As a way to bring some humanity to the numbers, I've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now. The headline is, Death Tolls Show France's Immigrants' Hardest Hit by COVID-19 study finds. This was written by Anne Deandra Luarn and published on July 17, 2020 on infomigrants.net. Are immigrants more vulnerable to coronavirus? A study by the Paris-based INSEE, the National Institute of Statistics and Economic Studies, published July 7, 2020, revealed that the mortality rate at the height of the COVID-19 crisis in France among foreign-born nationals and residents, foreign-born residents, increased more than twice as much as the rate for those born in France. In the early days of the pandemic in March and April of 2020, 129,000 people died from all causes compared to 102,800 at the same time the last year an increase of 25% attributed to the pandemic. At the same time, deaths of foreign-borns rose from 22% in 2019 to 48% in 2020. The high death rate among these groups can be explained in part by the fact that immigrant populations in France tend to settle in poorer, more densely populated areas, especially in the Paris metropolitan area of Ile-de-France, home to impoverished banlieues or suburbs. For people born in France and living in a densely populated commune, deaths between March 1st and April 30th of 2020 increased by 39% compared to the same period in 2019, the study noted. This rate jumped by 76% for North Africans and 158% for Sub-Saharan Africans because of their overrepresentation in this type of municipality in Ile-de-France as in other regions, the study found. The case of the northern Parisian suburb of Saint-Denis, where many immigrants live in underprivileged neighborhoods, perfectly illustrates the trend. The mortality rate between spring of 2019 and 20 increased by 95% among people born in France, but by 191% for those from North Africa, and a massive 368%, 368% for those born in sub-Saharan Africa. The collection of so-called ethnic statistics is prohibited in France since the French Republic is officially colorblind, refusing to categorize or count people by race or ethnicity. It may, however, be authorized on a case-by-case basis, particularly for scientific purposes such as the study carried out by INSEE. Minority rights activists have long believed that the absence of ethnic statistics has made the French state blind to the problem of racism and discrimination. Counting evidence from the United States, Britain, and Canada pointing to greater COVID-19 mortality risks for non-white groups increased pressure on French researchers to do the same. 
While the study pointing to high death rates among their foreign-born parents suggest that minorities, especially from sub-Saharan African groups, were disproportionately affected by the pandemic, it shed no light on the situation among French-born children of immigrants. The researchers, though, the use of available data showed valuable findings. France doesn't do ethnic racial statistics, but we have the country of birth, said Sylvie Lemines, head of INSEE's Department of Demographic Studies. That is already very, very illuminating. Okay, I'd like to turn to my conversation for today and let me introduce my guests to you. Jinri Kim holds a master's in public policy and specializes in social policy and social innovation. She's a foreign research correspondent at the Korea Institute for Health and Social Affairs, writes articles on France's social policy issues in the journal Global Social Security Review. Jinri wrote a master's thesis titled Intimate Stranger, a study of Filipino domestic workers in France. She's also co-founder of a home food waste app called Empty My Fridge. My second guest is Dr. Woojae Kim. Woojae is a geneticist. He's interested in social insects, such as honeybees and ants. He holds a bachelor's degree in biology from Yonsei University in Korea. He received a master's and PhD degree in molecular virology at Posttech. While doing postdoctoral research in the United States, he started to do research on Drosophila, behavioral genetics, fruit flies. He was previously in Ottawa University, in a university in Ottawa, and is currently at Harbin Institute of Technology in China, researching molecular mechanisms of social behaviors and neurocircuits. He's also the author of several books, including Fly Room and Selected Nature, and um, a book called Weiju, excuse me, Wu Jae Kim, Prize the Private Life of Drosophila. So let me uh, welcome my guest, Jin Rae Kim, and Jinri Kim and Wu Jae Kim, thank you so much for joining me on COVID calls today. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. So I'd like to start the way I usually do, just find out where you're calling in from and what the pandemic situation is looking like there today. Jinri, can I begin with you, please? Yes, of course. Oh, yeah, uh, so now actually I am in South Korea. I arrived um, here last um, 9th of April, and now I'm doing the mandatory quarantine that every um, people who come to Korea have to do. Uh, and otherwise, I live in Paris, um, and, and the situation of Paris about COVID is um, not improving very well. So as you already mentioned, um, there are 100,000 that, uh, they, they passed 100,000 that like almost a week ago. And they're doing a third lockdown. So when I was in Paris, um, we were doing third lockdown. It wasn't as strict as last two lockdown that we did last year, but shops and uh, restaurants are closed. Yeah. Did you have access to vaccination there in Paris? Is that something that people are able to do at this time? Um, well, actually, um, they did start um, vaccination uh, last uh, December, 27th of December, 2020. But um, they had lots of trouble because um, vaccination was very slow at the beginning and lots of criticism about organization of vaccine, vaccination um, happened. But um, when I checked out um, the statistic, April 18th, now 18% of the population received at least one dose of COVID-19 um, vaccine. But um, I would say that actually one of the reasons, uh, what, what, what is really tricky about France is that France is one of the most vaccine-sceptical countries in the world. Actually, um, according to the recent survey, 42% of French people answered that they would not take the vaccine and 21% were unsure about whether to have it. So I would say that it's not only about the organization of vaccination, but it's also that people are quite reluctant to get vaccinated, which um, is slowing down the roll out um, of vaccination in France compared to the other European countries. 
Uh, that's, that's such a remarkable um, insight and, and statistic. I, I didn't realize, I knew that they were, there was more vaccine hesitancy in France than other countries, but I didn't realize it was quite that high. Maybe we'll touch on that more later. And just one more question for you as we're starting, Jinri. So you're just finishing up the quarantine. Um, how have you found that experience to be? Um, well, actually, um, I didn't find it very complicated because of my. I think it's because of my personality that I am very home person. I I love to stay at home, but um, the thing is that I also did um lockdown twice already in France, which was quite strict last year. So um, of course, during the lockdown, you can go out to go to supermarkets, but during the quarantine, you can't really go out. But I think um, it's it's not as complicated as people might think, and I'm also quite excited because, um, as I already mentioned, in France now shops and restaurants are all closed. But tomorrow, I will be able to go to restaurant or go to cafes. So, you know, I think this quarantine is actually worth it for me to, yeah, to respect, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that and enjoy your freedom tomorrow uh, and welcome back to South Korea. Woojae, let me turn to you now. Same question, where are you calling from and what's the pandemic situation there? So I'm in uh, Harbin, uh, China. It's the northeast side of the China. And uh, yeah, here, uh, if you walk the street, about 60 to 70% people don't wear the mask. Means that we are now free from the COVID. So people eat together and um, all the restaurants open. So you can go anywhere inside the China. And uh, so if you come inside the China, then you will feel that there's no corona, COVID-19. So this is maybe the only only country that like that. And uh, actually, uh, when the COVID-19 started last year, about February and the March, I was in Korea and in Daejeon, the same place like Scott in the KRIBB as a, the invited the scientist. And uh, I was supposed to work from the March or the August uh, in Harbin, but I had to delay my my the starting date because of the COVID-19. So I waited about nine months to come here. And, and during that time, I went to Canada because my wife and daughter lives there. So I went to Canada and I experienced the Canada quarantine and I come back to Korea. So I experienced the Korean quarantine. And to come to China, I had to be in a hotel for 28 days. So I know three countries for quarantine days. So, but yeah, I was okay. I was like Gilly, so I like at home. So <laughs> quarantine for me was very happy days. So I watched the drama. I, I just read some papers. Yeah, I was okay. Except the food, except the food. The food in the Chinese hotel was not that good. So yeah, except I, that I, I was okay. I had a previous COVID calls episode where I had guests um, who were able to talk about the experience comparing uh, South Korea and China. Aram Jong was my guest for that and Yonsil Kang, um, as well as Hilda Vandebul, uh, who was a colleague of mine in the United States. And she described her situation in, in Europe where the, there was no quarantine. It was sort of like a self-enforced kind of yeah. self-monitoring kind of thing. And that compared to the South Korean and the, the Chinese case, uh, couldn't it be more different? Can it just, uh, if you wouldn't mind saying just a little bit more, Woojay, what was the Canadian quarantine like? So Canadian quarantine is not strict. So it's the, they just let you go home and right. they, it's up to you. You just be there 14 days and they just don't want you go out, but nobody watch you. They just call every day every day like 3 to 4 p.m., but that's it. So they don't have any app, they don't have any, they have app, but they don't use it. But uh, Korean quarantine is very strict. You cannot go out, yeah. Uh, I was, when I did the quarantine here with my family and uh, the daily temperature checks, 
Uh, they're not messing around with that. Yeah. If you don't get that in on time, you're going to get a message. Uh, they're going to want that information. Yeah. Um, so I found that very interesting. Well, uh, fascinating to hear those um, those reports from both of you. Thanks a lot for that. I, our topic today is um, we're going to be talking about some of the difficult issues I've talked with other guests on COVID calls about anti-Asian um, violence and bias that has emerged around the world in the context of this pandemic. And I'd like to start actually... Um, Wujay, in addition to being a scientist, you're um, you're a very prolific writer, and you wrote a opinion piece which I found in the Hankyore uh, newspaper here in South Korea. You published this on April sixth under the headline "Again, Yellow Peril." I'm just going to read a quote from it and and ask you um, why you wrote this piece. You wrote, "No politician is going to defend racist violations of human rights at a surface level." But when a society has been thrown into disorder by war or plague, state authorities may always opt to use racism as a means of staying in power. That's a strong statement, and it's a really brilliant opinion piece, and I hope people will read it, and I'll share it again on Twitter. Why did you write this opinion piece? Okay, so before I wrote this the, the column, the, there was an accident in the United States that one one uh, Caucasian uh, male killed a lot of Asian women. Uh, I forgot which state. It was Georgia. I don't know. Atlanta something. So after that, I saw that and I heard a lot of uh, the news and I heard a lot of uh, the, the report from my friend too. They said uh, when they go out nowadays, especially Asians, they feel something weird before is quite different from before COVID-19. So they feel danger, you know, in the United States when they go out. Even someone who lives in New York, she's told me that she's now feels safe uh, during this con con pandemic. So, and my wife lives in Ottawa, the capital of Canada. And then, then my wife, I she was worrying too, this Asian hate. So I was searching some papers and news, and then I found Jilly's paper uh, published last year something. So I was very surprised that she described all the historical uh, perspective of this yellow peril. So actually, frankly speaking, I didn't know that the word yellow peril before I read uh, the Julie's paper. Then I, after I read the Julie's paper, I studied by myself about this historical, very interesting uh, phenomena. And I realized that it connected to the eugenics, the eugenics like Nazis and things like that, right? So, so, and I'm a geneticist. So I'm very interested in the history of the eugenics too, because that's, that was tragedy in humankind. So I connected, so I made a column. So, and I personally very angry about this phenomenon because this is not fault of Asia. This pandemic, there's no fault for anyone, but why they blame the Asian, right? So actually that, 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 that writing is very, very suppressed of my anger. But that was the reason I wrote that. Yeah, thank you. Well, it comes through very strong, um, and it's 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 the kind of thing that we've seen um, expressed in United in American newspapers. Um, but I haven't seen. I'm, I'm a newcomer to South Korea, and I was interested to see that in the South Korean newspaper as well. So we'll talk more um, about that. I want to bring Jinri into the conversation. Um, especially as uh, which is pointing out that he reached out to you to read your work. So talk to us a little bit about your research and particularly this um, concept of ye yellow peril. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy, first of all, that um, the Professor Uja Kim um, found my article interesting. And the reason is quite similar. The reason that I wrote this article is quite similar to um, Uja's uh, reason that I got very interested in the phenomenon that racism against Asian became much more visible uh, in French society 
with the pandemic, whereas um, it wasn't considered to be a social problem before the pandemic. But um, as an Asian who is living in um, in France, um, I always wanted to show that um, racism against Asian has been existed all the time, but maybe in different forms. And the pandemic was just a catalyst that made it um, very visible. So I wanted to understand the reason why um, racism against Asian was so vandalized in the society. Um, so in my article, I studied how Asians have been racialized, um, focusing on the French society. And I talked about uh, two opposing stereotypes of Asian, which are, again, the modern minority and the yellow pearl. So um, can I start talking about the modern minority? Because I think that if I want to talk about the yellow pearl, it's important to talk about the modern minority first. Absolutely, so, yeah. thank you. Okay, so um, modern minorities term that was firstly used in the state. Um, it was used to describe Asian Americans as hardworking, successful, and low bidding um, ethnic minority that has overcome hardship and discrimination. And French scholars argue that these images of Asian described as the modern minority is also applied in um, French society, that in France, um, Asian people are also perceived as hardworking, diligent, and those who do not make troubles. So, but I found this uh, modern minority um, stereotype very tricky because they're seemingly um, positive. Those um, stereotypes are often described as positive and even valorizing, valorizing, although it is obviously an act of racialization. So at first sight, um, it seems harmless um, or rather advantage for Asian people to find jobs or in their daily lives. But the problem is that um, even though they seem to be positive, um, it's a process. It's a process of essentialization, putting them in a certain category, um, ignoring that all individual Asians have different cultural background, different personalities, and etc. So, and also another problem essentialization is that it is followed by othering um, Asian people. Um, making a clear line between us and them, as well as creating a hierarchy between us and them. So, uh, so that this um, modern minority stereotype fascinated me because, again, um, I thought that one of the reasons that Asian racism against Asian is so banalized in um, in French society is because um, this positive. Um, positive stereotypes have been considered to be harmless. So, um, for example, um, being an Asian in France, um, you get lots of racist remarks and racial attitude, and, and people were easily, and, 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 and these are easily tolerated and banalized in this society. And I found it really ironic um, that people, French people in general, are very much aware of racism against other minorities. But when they talk about racism against Asian, there's still lots of people um, who believe that there's no such thing. So before the COVID, um, you know, racism against Asian were expressed in a subtle way, and it was often disguised as joke or humor. And as a victim, it, it made it very difficult um, to point out and complain about it because um, you, you're not really sure whether he or she, you know, was doing this to harm you. Even And even if you know that, it was very difficult for me to find, um, to, to point it out because in the society, we believe that racism against Asian doesn't exist. And then with the COVID-19, um, not only this belief that racism against Asian um, is harmless was proven totally wrong, and all of a sudden um, we, we've observed that 
all the dominant discourse of Asians being more than minority just vanished. And instead, people start treating us as a threat or calling us dog eater, implying Asian culture being uncivilized or barbaric. So those similarly positive images of Asians just flipped um, to the very negative images. And and then um, I, I found this phenomenon very interesting. And in this respect, actually, um, many researchers have pointed out that stereotypes are ambivalent as they contain um, contradictory um, messages simultaneously. Hmm. So, for example, a scholar, um, Liam Kerrigan, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name properly, but he argues that um, one same threat of a minority group could be perceived and described both in positive and negative way according to the people's point of view and dominant discourse of the society. So, for example, um, as I already mentioned, that um, in, before the COVID, um, Asian people were praised as more than minority. But in the 20th century, um, the representation of Asian people were rather negative, as they were described as like mysterious, closed and cunning. And then the yellow peril was a dominant discourse about Asians. Let, yeah. let me just pause you there for a second and thank you for going into that yeah. detail. Um, and let me just bring uh, Wuche back in and see if he wanted to comment on any of that. And particularly, if you don't mind me asking this personal question, but I mean, if you both, you know, Jinri, you shared that you felt that you had experienced this stereotype yourself. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And Wojay, has has that does that resonate with you as something you've experienced in your life as well as a, a person who's worked and lived, as you said, in Canada and also in the United States? Yes, I think most of Asian experience this. So, can I ask you, Scott, in Korea, do you get any kind of discrimination from Korean people? Do you feel it? Not at all. You don't, right? But well, we do. We do in the United States, we do in Canada, in French. So for example, like uh, especially women, you know, women and uh, old, they got discrimination a lot. So I think most of them experience that. For, for example, like in California, I was in California. California is okay. If you go like uh, the middle, middle of the Middle East of the United States, you, know, you easily can feel it. In like just seeing like uh, just restaurant or when you buy something, you know, you f you have to feel that kind of feeling of people watching you or. And my wife, after COVID nineteen, when she go went to Costco, she heard twice that you Chinese go back to your country, even she was Korean, you know. So one thing I want to point out the Julie thing is this Asian pair this time is very specialized to China, not the other country. Yeah, they believe that this COVID-19 started from Wuhan, right? So that is, is true. So they blame China for that. So if you go Canada, actually, do you know Canada, right? Canada is very, very, you know, they don't like racism. So it, in surface. So if you go Canada, you feel a little bit different from United States, in, especially to Asian. But after COVID-19, the, 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 the place where I live, my wife told me that she feels like she's discriminated, yeah, discriminated by the, by the, the Caucasian people. Especially, she, that's why she doesn't like to go out like Costco and, 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 uh, and uh, some supermarket, right? And, and, you know, this is especially very cruel to Asian women and uh, the old people. Uh, so that's why I was very angry about it. And, and this thing, I, I so, 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 so Scott, you're the only quotation, right? So I will tell you this. If you don't experience this, you cannot tell this. If you never get the discriminated by your whole neighbor, right, in this way, you cannot tell this. So it's really hard to feel this way as Asian, you know? And after COVID-19, it's getting more serious. That's why Dili called it Paris, right? It's yellow Paris now. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. now I'm China, right? 
And even I'm feeling this very similar the, the environment from Korean people too. You know, mm -hmm. Korean people also hate Chinese people. So this is, that's what I'm saying. Gilly, if you want to research more, you need to research about, this is very specialized to China, not the other Asian country. So it's not more, it's like Chinese period, not yellow period. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yep, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And and um, just to bring it back, because it's something that uh, Wujay said, Jinri, I wanted to get your opinion about, you know, I was speaking um, recently with um, Jaewon Hyun and Youngsub Choi, um, and we were talking about face mask use and the and the history of that across Asia in many different parts of Asia, in Singapore and Taiwan and Korea and China. Um, but the way that that has been written about in the West is that it's just an Asian phenomenon. And uh, Wujay was pointing out there this nuances. I mean, to talk about Asia is like talking about Africa or talking about Europe or talking about North America. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, all, it's so abstract almost as to be meaningless. And I wonder how that sort of fits in with this model minority discussion and the way it works. Is it, does it ever get more nuanced than just to say Asian? Or does it, does it actually work differently depending on what countries people might be from? These stereotypes vary based on if someone is from Japan or Korea, for example, or China or Singapore. Uh, I think when they refer to um, the modern minority, they, um, they typically refer to East Asian people who have um, kind of cultural background of Confucianism, who really value the education and, you know, uh, success in the uh, success, um, your own success in your career. But um, if I talk about my own experience, I clearly see the difference before the COVID and after the COVID. Um, before the COVID, um, as I already mentioned, um, racial stereotypes against Asian was very nuanced and also very subtle. So I couldn't really, sometimes I felt very uncomfortable with some racist comment, but uh, I didn't find the language to talk about it because no one told me that it was racist. And because I, you know, I start convincing myself that, okay, what this person said wasn't to attack me, but it was kind of compliment, even though I feel very uncomfortable with it. And um, so so that was a struggle that even if you talk about it, um, people don't um, try to believe you or people try to tell you that it wasn't actually racist. And what I now realize is that, um, for example, when someone says something quite rather offensive, for example, like Ching Cheng Chong or Ni Hao is like a, you know, you listen, you hear, you hear this in daily basis mm -hmm. in friends. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about this to your friends, um, your friends could tell you that, oh, but you know, those people ignorant. So, so those people ignorant. So you know, you shouldn't waste your energy about right. you know, about these people. But what I realized is that actually, being able to ignorant about whether I'm from Korea, whether I'm from China, is also power and expressive of power because for them, knowing, making an effort of knowing about that Asia consists of um, many, many countries right. is an important, it doesn't give any importance to them. And after the COVID, and I, what I remember is that, um, at the beginning of 2020, I took a metro and I saw the people um, starting covering their nose and mouth. Mm. And I, I felt very uncomfortable because I really felt sure. like okay, I'm a potential virus now here. So from that experience, since that day, um, I did not take a metro for such a long time because I did not want to feel uncomfortable. So I... I, I was lucky enough that I didn't have any um, physical violence, violence um, attack against me. But these little subtle things makes you feel very intimidated. And as Uze said, you don't want to go out from your house anymore because mm -hmm. you're, you're con constantly conscious about, you know, any offense that could happen to you. 
And one more thing, if I can add, is that um, actually in France, what was really interesting is that at the beginning of COVID, um, the government said to the people that wearing masks um, is not effective way to prevent virus. And they even said that wearing masks uh, not correctly is worse than not wearing masks at right. all. Right. So in that situation, I um, wearing masks, being an Asian, was a completely a symbol of being a virus. So when my mm. mom called me mm. from Korea and saying, oh, you, you need to wear a mask, I kept saying that, you know what, I'm not going to wear because I... You know, I don't want to be discriminated. So I almost risked my life not to be discriminated um, in the French society. So what you're both describing mm -hmm. um, coincides very well with a, a call I had earlier this week with Mira Choi and Hannah Tesler, who are two sociologists at Yale University, and they're studying this these phenomena as well. And they point out um, that all of this is um, it's hard to document. It leads to exhaustion and stress. And also many times people, it's back to what you were saying, Jay, and what you were just describing, Jinri, that when you're experiencing it, many times um, immigrants, if they're moving to a country permanently, or even if they're there for a short time, they don't yet understand frame of reference for humor. Um, and so if somebody says to them, oh, that's just a joke, don't worry about that. Yeah. They may not have a basis to really know if that's true or not. And additionally, they probably are in those countries because they believe they want to believe the best things about Canada or the United States or France. And so they may actually be predisposed to doubt themselves in that moment because they've taken a leap to leave their home country, South Korea or China, and go and try and work in those places. Those are levels and nuances to that that they're pointing out in their research, they're finding um, in interviews they're doing in the United States right now. want to remind folks you're listening to COVID calls and I'm talking to Uje Kim and Chinri Kim today about racism and bias against the Asians in the Asian diaspora in COVID. We should turn our conversation now to talk a bit more about this yellow peril concept. It's central yeah. to the opinion piece that Uje wrote and also to your research, Jinri. Um, let me, Jinri, let me ask you first if you'd say a little bit more about this historical grounding and then Uje, I'll bring you back in. Okay, so um, I think I started from um, introducing a modern minority. So now, just briefly to uh, just briefly saying that what I said was that um, um, yellow minority and um, the modern mi uh, I'm sorry, the modern minority and the yellow fever are closely related to each other, even though uh, they they look quite opposing to each other. So um, if I can briefly introduce um, the definition of yellow peril is that um, it's the belief that East Asians um, pose an inherent threat to white Western power, values, social order and culture. And this term yellow peril was firstly used by Emperor Wilhelm II of Germany in 1895, when Europe witnessed um, Japan's advanced military capacity and uh, economic progress as they won um, Sino-Japanese war and Russo-Japanese war. So they feared um, Japan becoming a dominant power overtaking white European nations. But this um, yellow peril myth has been reproduced in Western media um, co um, continuously, even when the dominant discourse of Asian was the modern minority. And in the 2000s, uh, with China gaining more and more power in the global economy and politics, the yellow fever discourse started appearing more often. Um, if, um, since I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living in France, I studied about um, the French case that 
Actually, in 2015, um, there was a cover of the magazine called Fried Glaciella. They put the illustration of China occupying Paris with the title Yellow Peril. What if it's already too late? So I uh, prepared um, the illustration to share with you guys that. Um, oh. oh, sorry. Um, I'm just struggling. I, uh, yeah. No problem. Okay, we can. Uh, can you can you guys? Uh, yeah. yeah, we can see it. We can see it. Oh, I don't think it's I'm showing the right yeah, one. Be, That's some text. Uh, it looks like. Put, yeah, put the oh, PowerPoint I, in the browser. Yeah, location. Um, I I'm so I'm sorry. I don't understand why I'm showing a different one, even if I choose the. Um, uh, can I try it again? I'm sorry. No problem. Take your time. Yeah. Okay. So now is it? Yeah. So. Okay, you can see it. Yeah, so it looks very good. Is, so this is the um, illustration that I talked about, um, that I just mentioned about that. Um, sorry. Yeah, um, this is um, the illustration. And what is really interesting is that um, they, they applied completely the narrative of Yellow Peril. So in the first cover, uh, they put Paris Jaune, si c'était déjà trop tard. It means again that um, Yellow Peril, what if it's already too late? And they put this imagination that um, China occupying um, Paris. And the second, um, second cover, what is really interesting is that um, they describe Chinese people's hands as animal-like with long nails, while European and Arab hands as human-like. So by doing so, um, the illustration used the dichotomy of animal versus human or uncivilized versus civilized, making the Chinese and also Asians um, as an inferior other. And by othering Asians, they also dehumanize Asian people, you know, again, by describing their hands more, more animal-like. And um, in the first cover, what is also quite interesting is that um, white guy, there's a white guy carrying the wagon, and it shows clearly the feeling of dread the Western countries, in this case, France, feels from the rise of Chinese um, power in the, in the international order. And, and at the same time, what is very um, weird is that they, they, they put the image of wagon, kind of implying that China still use wagon than a car. So they, at the same time, reinforcing this idea that, okay, China might occupying, occupy Paris, but China is still less advanced in technology. So we should not be occupied by such an inferior other and by creating a hierarchy so this um i found this again um how um you know how can i stop yeah. the yeah you yeah. Start, you, perfect you stop it did i stop it okay yeah. so yeah. yeah this is um this is the the reason that i came up with this illustration is because i think this images imply um lots of things about the narrative of um yellow peril so the point is that um the modern minority and the yellow peril myth have coexisted co um in the western societies and in that sense uh, in this regard um okihiro in 1994 the scholar okihiro argued that the yellow peril and the modern minority um, actually form a circular form, real circular relationship that moves in either direction, meaning mm. that when, um, when Asian people uh, compared to the other minorities, they were praised as the modern minority that other race minorities have to learn from, but when they're perceived to be outdoing uh, white Europeans, they have, they are treated as a thread, which is the yellow pearl. 
So with the pandemic, um, Yellow Peril discourse researched especially by the French media. And um, if should I continue or? Let me just, well, thank you for that description. And I just want to bring Wujay back in if he wants to comment on anything that you were talking about there, uh, Wujay. No, I'm okay, because I, I read uh, Jim Lee's wonderful paper, and if you can, uh, Scott, you cannot read it, right? Because it's, can you read it and the Julie's paper in Korean? No, Korean. <laughs> no I'm entirely it's Korean paper. Yeah, I'm that, entirely that, illiterate that, in Korean. I rely the, on my friends. That's one of the best paper I read uh, recently. Okay, so oh, she was sure. very, very, very the organized. That's why I was uh, surprised that she connected modern minority with the yellow peril. And that was uh, very, such a nice paper. And I have nothing to add for that. But I want to mention if the, the, the audience is of, uh, okay, I will, I will share. Okay. So if I can, what, can I share the screen? Okay, here. Okay. Can you see that? No. Uh, we're not seeing anything. Oh, okay. oh no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe it made me complicated. So I was, I was just uh, trying to show the one of the picture that Wilhelm II ordered to painter. Yeah. White, uh, there's very symbolic uh, picture of the yellow peril that mm -hmm. uh, they afraid of the dragon with the Buddha. So, so, and, well, I, and if you think about, yeah, if you think about yeah. that, I will, what I want to mention is when you talk about yellow peril, this COVID pandemic is that it's different. Uh, it's a little bit of different because in 1985, it was against Japan because they was afraid of Japan rule the other Western country. And now it's China. And then and, and very clearly you can see the Chinese science technology and the, their economy is growing up very fast. So a lot mm -hmm. of Western country, I mean, the political leaders and also a lot of economical leaders, they, they're afraid of it. But they also cooperate with China, right? Because they, the all the factories in China. So this is, I think, based on the, this type of yellow peril. So China especially has very strong economical power now and they're, they're, they're growing so fast. So that's why I want to point out, if you go out, and in Western country now, what those uh, Western countries, normal people hate is China, not Korea, not Japan. So yeah, you need to know that. So that's what I want to add up to Julie's uh, comment. Yeah, thank you. I think that that context is Im important because it also shows um, how that kind of racism coincides and intertwines with geopolitical struggles. and and how also they're sort of, they're operating all the time, but they can be weaponized in times of crisis. And um, I'm glad that his name hasn't come up yet, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk for just a second about the way Donald Trump used that. And uh, which I just to bring you back in, because you talk about it in your opinion piece, were you surprised to see, uh, maybe Trump doesn't surprise anybody, but um, he reached directly for that he didn't i don't know if he used the term yellow peril we could go in and there's a twi twitter database we could i wouldn't be surprised if he did but he used lots of other terms which were just as offensive and just as racist um to characterize the virus and to racialize the virus i don't know if you found that surprising at all would jay no 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 even the, i have a lot of chinese friends now even this Chinese friend not surprised anymore by Trump because he used the term the Wuhan virus, Chinese virus. He tweeted a lot, right? So, yeah. and if you, if you want to the, the field of uh, the responses against uh, Donald Trump by Chinese, and you should come to China, the old, old age of the Chinese people just laugh at him. So he's, he's, he's not a, they, they, they think that why USA people elect those very low profile and not qualified 
politicians as a president, right? But that's democracy too, right? But whatever, Trump made this serious. That's true. COVID-19 itself started this, but Trump, Donald Trump, United States president made this serious. So that's why the normal people like uh, the, the, the Caucasian male think that they can kill the Asian woman. How they can get that kind of courage, right? Because the, even the, the president do that. Why cannot do that, right? So I don't understand. This is, is, I, think, I don't think this is not just cultural problem anymore. This is political problem. Mm. It, it includes the, the, the Biden, the government too. They need to be very strict and they need to do something for this, okay? Because French, even France, France, it, 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 this problem is happening. I was very surprised actually. France, everybody know that France is, is, is where the French Revolution happened and that, that's the country of the human right. Everybody know it that way. But when I, when I saw that picture from Jilly's paper, I was so shocked. I showed it to my wife actually, you know, because <laughs> that was very shocked. And Jilly told that, that explained that that is the animal, but it's not Jilly. That the right picture is zombie. Their, their painter described the Chinese people as zombie. You know, oh. they they are dominating the the, the Paris. Okay, so it's, it's, it reminds me the Shirley Abdo. I I don't know whether my pronunciation is right. Shirley Abdo, Joseph Mohammed, right? The picture and they they someone just tarot, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Just okay, you know, you know the. Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah. Now, just to follow up quickly, um, Jinri, to what Wujay was just saying, um, certainly the politics of Trump and the politics of Macron are different, at least the, certainly the rhetorical styles are different. But have there been strong denunciations in France of anti Asian bias at this time among top political leaders? I'm sorry, I missed the question. There was a problem with audio. Can you repeat again? Yeah, it, has Macron or anyone in the government in France been outspoken about sort of calling out this sort of anti-Asian bias? I was pleased to see that when Biden Biden made a major speech um, a couple of weeks ago after the the murders in Atlanta, Georgia, and he yeah. was pretty unequivocal that this was a, an issue. And just as Wujay said, he says it's a moral issue, it's a political issue, and we're going to stop it. Now, that was a 180 degree turn in, in terms of what Trump was doing. What, how has this been handled in political speech in France? Well, um, I would say that when it comes to the exacerbation of racism against Asians, um, French government um, showed no action. <laughs> of course, it's <laughs> way better than um, you know what Trump has done. But um, Macron only talked about racism against Asians during his speech uh, for the Lunar New Year, but we were very happy, probably pleased that he mentioned about uh, the problem of racism against Asians. But uh, other than that, he did not um, do any specific um, action that could, you know, help Asian community to to be uh, less discriminated. And uh, what was also interesting is that. Um, even when um, the violence reached the peak, um, there wasn't really any reaction um, from the governmental level or from the politician, even those politicians who are very well known for in very much engaged in um, being very much engaged in racial racism and any sort of racism, they did not um, mention about racism against Asian. And mm -hmm. I would say that this kind of this shows clearly the level of awareness of um, racism against Asians in the French society. Let me ask you a, a follow-up question to that. Um, Jinri, let me ask you first. Do you see any evidence that, so what we've been describing is the, is the racism and violence experienced by Asians living in other parts of the world. Have you seen that provoke discussions within, for example, South Korea or within China about racism within those countries? In other words, to look inward and ask those hard questions about human rights and racism at home. Yeah. Um, 
Well, what I have read is that um, I've read several articles talking about racism in South Korea, especially towards Chinese immigrants and migrant workers, um, and etc. during the during the COVID nineteen. But um, um, as but as you just said that um, what is so quite interesting in Korea is that um, with the pandemic um. Xenophobia against um, China and racism against especially Chinese people got um, worsened, and um, um, I'm not. Um, I've seen again. I've seen articles talking about it, but I'm not sure that um, the public opinion is, um, you know, is about. I uh, let's be careful of. Um, mm. not, let's be careful of not being racist against others. I, I'm not very sure about it, so I would like to ask uh, Ujay what he thinks about it. Okay, so the regarding the question, I think uh, when that uh, Georgia the the accident happened, the Korean the newspapers and uh, the media was reporting a lot, just one or two days. That was it. So there was no serial uh, discussion about this kind of thing. Maybe partly because the Korean governments are not that much interested in it because they don't know what to do. It happened in the United States. So we are Korea. So we are small country. So what are we going to do? Right? And, and personally, I think the discussion about this should happen in the United States, not here, right? A lot of Asian people and Asian governments, when they when when those kinds of accidents happen in the United States, they don't know what to do. Because the United States is a very strong country. And we criticize it in public. Maybe politicians think it's kind of attack to the United States. So they don't want to publicize it. And Korean people they don't discuss about it. You know why? Because we all know that that was there long before, but it's just making serious now, right? So we think, and my my parents and my my friends thinking that that kind of thing will go calm down after COVID nineteen. That's mm -hmm. why we are impatient now, and I'm I'm not I'm not telling that this is kind of Asian culture, but. I think that people are thinking in that way. All right, that is serious. But the United States have guns, always have a racism, right? Trump gone. So this this reason, right? The Donald Trump gone. So people think, all right, that happened, but it will go down. That's why people are not making this as a like very serious problem. But I think United States government and then 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 a lot of politicians there should discuss about it very seriously, but they will not, I guess. Why? Because this kind of yellow peril and the cultural uh, Asian hate maybe help them to, to, to rule the people because they can use it in some way to, to, to control people, right? So actually, if you think about yellow peril 19... Uh, 1895, that was started by politicians, right? So yeah. in this time, no politi politicians can do this, right? But I don't know, the Western political leaders, what they think, who knows? They might be happy for this in, 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 in below the, uh, the, the, behind the curtain, who knows, right? So I'm thinking that this is not just, you know, cultural thing by people, normal people. I think political leaders is very responsible for this, but they are ignoring this. So they need to do something. That's what I want to say. Yeah, thank you. Just a reminder, you're listening to COVID calls. I'm talking to Wujay Kim and also Jinri Kim today. And we're almost up on time, but I did want to ask uh, one more question. Um, and Wujay, I'm going to ask you this first. It's my experience that people who um, take the time to enter the public sphere uh, and write an opinion piece or write a thesis or go on a uh, podcast and talk about these things 
Um, they do them out of a sense of seriousness that there is a possibility for change and that learning is possible. Now, I'm not going to force you to accept that position if that's not how you feel. But um, I am curious, um, Wujay, what do you think may be possible at this time in terms of addressing? I mean, we're having this conversation, so we're raising these issues. We're confronting them. Um, what do you see as a possibility for change in this moment so that the next time we have a pandemic, uh, a virus isn't once again weaponized as a racist tool? Okay, so this is like a climate change, the same. So the normal people like you and me, what we can do, we can, I can do this kind of thing. I, I'm a writer, so I write, right? I now hope that society can be changed by their writing, but it's really happened. So political leaders are responsible for this. Just Joe Biden, Xi Jinping, should meet, right, for world peace, okay? Everybody know now this is very getting serious, right? And when they don't meet, if they don't meet, this kind of yellow peril will not stop. It will continue. Right? So nothing we can do, but we need to hope from Western political leaders and East Asian political leaders do something. But you saw that for one year, how the political leaders are stupid on this COVID-19 prevention. They only think about not the people. They think about something else. If you see the vaccine war between EU and England now, it's just stupid, right? So world is not idealistic working as we wish but you know we need to hope and we need to push them to work together but Scott as like you I don't have any solution but I keep writing that's it all right thank you I'm fascinated by the parallel you drew to climate change there and <laughs> what what we often I think it's an important one to, to think with because what many people have reached in the last few years is a sort of a climate despair um, that all of the work and all of the science um, you know what more evidence do you need and I find you know to Jinri's work what more evidence do you need that you know racism running deep in cultures in the West but can become vitalized during a crisis with really deadly impact. And yet, as you said, you're, you're a writer and you're still writing. You're a speaker and you're still speaking. Um, Jinri, I'm going to give you the, this is a heavy topic. Um, if there's anything you want to sort of react to in what Wujay said or, or any of your own um, thoughts on this regard in terms of hope and steps for the future. Well, um, what I, if I understood correctly, um, I think Wujay kind of put emphasis on the, the roles of politics to address the problem of racism. But in that regard, um, I believe more in, um, you know, micro actions and also like the, the roles of the individuals. So I think um, the best way to break the cycle of people um, get stigmatized due to virus is just to raise awareness of racism at the societal level. So I believe that um, even if the politicians um, try to do politics, um, you know, with the hate, if the level of awareness about racism is high in a certain society, that they will be immune, they will be more immune to any type of hate, you know, even during the pandemic. And I do actually believe that um, there is a progress in the society. For example, um, when it comes to um, anti-Asian racism in France, um, when I um, searched about the, the public opinion of the illustration that I shared with you guys, the cover of Fluid Glacier, um, almost, I, I found almost no article calling it as racist, but, um, you know, rather they call it as um, freedom of expression a la Francaise, like French way of freedom of expression. But... Um, but I couldn't really find um, any article calling it out as, um, you know, racism. 
But um, in 2020, when another newspaper, Picard, Courrier Picard, when they talked about yellow peril again, linking um, coronavirus coming from China, there were lots of people who actually, who were very indignant about it and they call it out as racist. So I do believe that um, there is um, that there is a change, there is a pro progress, and we can find hope from it. And in this regard, lastly, um, I hope that the violence against Asian, you know, that we've witnessed so far these days will be an occasion for the people to reflect on racism against Asian, which has long been minimized and neglected. Yeah. Just a reminder, you've been listening to COVID Calls and you can catch COVID Calls every weekday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And on Fridays, you can catch it at 5.30 p.m. Korea time. Please join me next week. All of next week, we'll be speaking about obituaries in the COVID era, writing about life and death. And I'll be interviewing a number of different journalists, starting with Chris Majerian from the Los Angeles Times on Monday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. So please do join me for that. And I want to thank my guests today, Wujae Kim and Jinri Kim. Uh, thanks for the wisdom you've shared and for this really frank and uh, important conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Stay healthy, everyone. I'll see you Monday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time.